Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Hey everyone, it's Ari. So the episode you're about to hear now was recorded live and raw, it is unedited, at our recent Less Doing Los Angeles event. The event included about 50 amazing entrepreneurs, many of whom are in the Less Doing Leaders coaching program. We had world-class speakers, and the theme of the event was perfect your process. So we had experts across several different genres, and every talk was given as a fireside chat style conversation. So again, they're unedited. They're, these episodes are explicit. We are an explicit podcast, but these were uh, a little more explicit in some cases than others. So fair warning. And if you want to find out more about what we do at a Less Doing Live event, after you listen to this episode, go to lessdoing.com and click on our live events button. Now enjoy the episode. So, Sheree Alexander, <laughs> yes. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> what What is it you do here? <laughs> what, what do what I do in my life? How would you describe yourself? Um, so, I describe myself as a persuasive persuasiveness speaker and coach. Um, sometimes people call me the dark arts chick because the moniker that I have on the business is bringing the dark arts of influence into the light. So that's how I'm usually known. Okay, cool. And how did you get into this this kind of work? Yeah, so I had known about the professional speaking world at a pretty young age. And be- I come from a theater background and had a real job for 11 whopping months. And one of the reasons that I was really good at that job, it was in PR and sales. Within the first six weeks, I landed the largest account they had seen in over five years. And so I developed a name for myself and I realized like, oh, the things I had learned in theater, other people don't know this. And that's why their presentations are flopping. So I didn't have much of a brain for uh, being an employee, as many of us don't. And so I decided in my early 20s to start my own business. And I had enough saved up that if I didn't make a dime for a year, I could still survive. And I started a presentation skills coaching company, which then evolved to me being a speechwriter for CEOs and various political campaigns. And I did that for about six or seven years, but I had reached a point where I just felt like there's nothing left to learn about presentation skills. I had hit the ceiling. There's only so many things. So I asked myself, what is it about speaking that I love? I love the power of words. I love that this uniquely human thing that we have called language can change minds, can change hearts, can change societies, and yet it's so underutilized. And so I asked myself, who is the best of the best? Who, I love that we can persuade people from the stage, but when you're up on stage, you have safety nets. Right now, you guys kind of have to sit silently and listen to me because that's what's expected of you. If this was one of my keynotes, I have a PowerPoint, I've rehearsed, I have notes, I have all these safety nets. But in real life, we don't have those safety nets. When you're on a sales call, they don't have to shut up and listen to you. You don't have notes because they can change the course of the conversation. 
So who's the best in those moments? And I had this crazy idea. What if I interviewed CIA agents, people who in the field can turn an asset, somebody who is actually putting their lives at risk to give us information. And I thought, I had that thought and I was like, that's a crazy idea, that's never gonna happen. Well, it kind of happened. <laughs> and from there, I have since interviewed and learned from CIA field operatives, hostage negotiators, con artists, pickup artists, uh, military intelligence officers, trial attorneys, a um, whole bunch of amazing people that don't have those safety nets and yet are able to deliver the results when it matters. So that's a Genesis story. So, I mean, and you, I mean, you just learned it from, from talking to them. Yeah, so I learned it through, through interviews. Uh, a lot of people ask me, well, how did you get those conversations with those people? And it was, for me, the angle that worked was I'm not asking about their missions, you know, because obviously that's classified and, and there's uh, client uh, lawyer confidentiality. I asked, what is your perspective in those moments? How do you approach it? What are you thinking? What are you doing? How are you saying it? What are you noticing? And so that's how I was able to have these really in-depth conversations with people who were quite literally interrogating seven of the top 10 captured terrorists during the war. Um, which war? Uh, but anyway, that's another conversation. <laughs> Great war. Um, <laughs> no, and, more recent. And so, uh, but now, when in your fork, are you primarily working with the military or are you doing presentations? Like, how, how are you turning this around? Now? Sure. So my whole thing is those people are quite literally in life and death scenarios. Somebody can perish based off of what somebody says if they do it in the wrong way or at the wrong time. Thank goodness, like they're in the major leagues, Thank goodness we're playing in the minors. Like we just want people's money. Great. So it, it's so much easier and, and there's a lot of freedom when you realize like, oh, these techniques work in these high pressure situations. Maybe they'll probably work for me in business. So my clients, there's two main pillars to the business. I'm a professional speaker. So that's more the corporate side. And that's where I go and do trainings for leadership and sales teams, corporate retreats, that kind of a thing. And then on my coaching side, that's geared more towards entrepreneurs. So talking about marketing, sales, uh, lead magnets, all of that stuff. Every area of your business where your persuasive skill set can lead to profit. Okay. So uh, in a previous interview today, yeah. I was asking about uh, the, how this stuff works in the written word versus the spoken word. Yeah. And so it sounds like there's there's more of that with what you're doing. Right. So um, my main focus is conversational influence. So when you don't have those safety nets and there's frameworks that help you figure out what to learn from somebody. And we'll talk about that. Um, but most of you already kind of know this stuff because you're in marketing. When we're in marketing, we ask ourselves, well, who's your customer avatar? What do they like? Where do they hang out? Where are they getting their information? What do they, what are they afraid of? We know to do this in marketing. Um, but for some reason in a conversation, we feel like, oh, I can't get all that information at once. Or I don't know how to get to that information without them feeling like I'm interrogating them. And, um, and I've timed myself on my sales calls because yes, I record my sales calls and I'm able to get so far the record is I can learn what I need to know about the client 
figure out their influential triggers in the record right now is five minutes and 39 seconds. From like nothing to... Yeah, from, from a cold call, you know, it's our first conversation and I can, I can have enough working knowledge of influential triggers. Is it all the triggers? No. And that's where that perfectionist mindset, I think gets in the way for a lot of people is they think, oh, I have to know their complete profile. No, you don't. You just need a little bit to work off of and that'll lead you to the next and that's kind of rapport building in general. So that kind of trust building stuff as well, right? So, right. so what, is that, what does that framework look like? Sure. So um, the, there's five main things that if you listen for, these are the main influential triggers that you can use and attach to influential techniques. This is where, so Jordan kind of touched on this a little bit. In our world, people, you guys are a little bit more attuned to like, oh, influence is a good thing. But the, and whenever I speak in settings not like this, the number one question I get is, aren't you afraid you're being manipulative? Right? Yeah. So does anybody have that fear a little bit right now? Like, I don't think I, I love these groups. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, so we'll skip over that whole section. Great. Um, so the five things that you want to listen for are the, the influential vibes, V-I-B-E-S. And the first thing in the vibes is their values. What do they value? What's important to them? A lot of you might be familiar that there's obviously a hierarchical value that people have. So Ari, for example, we could guesstimate that he values entrepreneurship, he values freedom, he values family, he values uh, health, he values teams, he values profit. Am I, I mean, am I close? Yeah. Now then the question is, okay, which one of these can I align with my influential intention? Do I choose entrepreneurship for selling my coaching or do I choose freedom? Do I choose family? Which one is going to be the hook? And the thing is that most people, I think that get that what gets in their way in a conversation or the fear that they have is, oh, but if I test it and it doesn't land, then I'm fucked. And yet when it comes to marketing, we know to test our content, right? Like we all know, oh, you, you won't figure out your message until you test it. I'm doing the same thing. It's just in real time. And then I noticed, did that land? Okay, maybe I'll go with the family angle. So values is the first one in the vibes. The second one is identifiers. So how do they see themselves? This is when we get into kind of the matrix of our reality. It's not how do I perceive this person, it's how does this person perceive themselves? They may perceive themselves to be very self-aware, very introspective, and you as the outsider may know that's a crock of shit. You don't know crap about yourself, it's so freaking obvious. But if I wanna influence this person, I'm not going to say, I mean, it's you're not really that self-aware, are you? Because that's gonna kill it. Instead, I'll use that to my advantage. And I'll say something like, well, as somebody who's worked on themselves and is self-aware, I'm sure that you can understand blah, 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 blah. Right? <laughs> so how do they see themselves? Whenever you're doing this for, if you do in a marketing or trying to figure out somebody, it helps to write the identifiers in first person as they are saying it, not, oh, I think that one of their identifiers might be blah, blah, blah. Because when you write it in first person, the language will change. There will be nuances in how they say it versus how you would say it. The next one in the vibes is B, which stands for beliefs. And there's a lot of people that study NLP in here, so I don't have to delve into this too much, right? 
So what are the stories that they tell themselves about things? If this happens, what meaning do they give to that? If somebody walks in late, do they care? Or if somebody walks in late, do they believe that person has no respect for me? All of these different beliefs are valid. It's just how do they perceive it to be? How are you sussing that out, though? Is it just constant questions? Conversation. Yeah. Conversation. Okay. And, and, um, and Jordan's absolutely right that you should do less of the talking and not just in an interview style. Like if I, if this, if there's somebody that I want to connect with and learn more about, I, it's like, I'm just constantly teeing the ball over to them, you know, just lobbing it over. And one of my favorite questions that will get you to find this, uh, influential Intel is by asking the question, Oh, really? Why is that? Because I'm getting to the... <laughs> Got George. All right. <laughs> oh, really? Why is that? Because now you're getting to the motivation, you're getting to the story, you're getting to the how they perceive something to be. Oh, I really enjoy Disney World. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, my, just seeing my kids and their eyes light up. Completely different answer than, oh, it was just so nostalgic and it made me think of the times when I was a kid. It's totally different. Now I'm learning different information. So, and then yeah. you go with the family angle. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so versus the. Yeah. You paraphrase that identifies really well. How do we paraphrase the beliefs to one sentence so I remember in a week's time? That just depends on what the situation is. I mean, you can bullet point it, it can be a sentence, it could be a paragraph. But what is the beliefs like? Well, identifies how does this person ID themselves? Yeah, oh, so the beliefs is like, what stories or what meanings do they give to certain stimuli? So what do they believe? And, and for entrepreneurs and salespeople in particular, there's four main types of beliefs that you're probably going to want to pay attention to, especially in your sales, is what do they believe about the problem itself? Do they believe it's a big problem? Do they believe it's a small problem? What do they believe about the potential solution? Is it going to be a huge investment, a small investment? Should this be able to be fixed in five minutes or less? Or is this going to be a five-year issue for our company? Then third is what do they believe about themselves as it relates to the problem and solution? Do they think I got to be involved in this or they want to be hands off? And then lastly is what do they believe about you? Do they believe that you're an expert? Do they believe that they don't know you from Adam? So those are the four main beliefs. Of course, there's life beliefs in general that you still want to pay attention to. Cool. And then, so e. yeah, so E, <laughs> Sesame Street. Um, so E is emotional triggers. Where most people get tripped up is they think of the emotions that people are feeling. And that is, there obviously is room for that. But specifically the emotional triggers. What is the stimuli that triggers a positive emotion? What is the stimuli that triggers a negative emotion? I want to pay attention to that because then I know when I bring up that thing in the conversation, I'm triggering either positive or negative emotions. Um, Jim Quick earlier talked about that we re remember things by, in space and where, uh, where things are, where things happen and did that memory uh, activity with us. So if we apply that to a sales conversation, let's say I'm a personal trainer and I'm wanting to sell fitness to somebody. I want to know, so I ask like, so uh, what makes you want to 
get a personal trainer. Well, I want to lose five pounds. And if you lose five pounds, what would that mean for you? Like what would change in your life? Well, I'd be able to fit into my skinny jeans. Okay. When do you feel like when you see those skinny jeans, does that make you feel good or does that make you feel bad? Like, does that feel disempowering? And when you stand in front of the refrigerator, is that like a, a point of struggle for you? And so let's say staying in front of the refrigerator is like a hot button place for them where that negative emotional trigger happens. So then later in my sales conversation, I will bring up the refrigerator. I won't just bring up, and you know how it feels to just not like the body that you're living in right now? Rather than talking about the emotion, I first elicit the emotion so that next time when you're standing in front of the refrigerator, you won't have that internal struggle. You won't have to stand there for seven minutes dissecting calories. I've already brought the emotion by knowing the trigger and then I'm replacing it or, or guiding the conversation where I need it to go. So where do they experience the stimuli? What is the stimuli itself? So that's emotional triggers. And then lastly is S, which is secret goals and desires. I say secret just because it sounds sexier, <laughs> but really truly could absolutely be stated goals or desires. Somebody telling you what they want for themselves. And obviously there's levels to that. What do they want for themselves in their business? What do they want for themselves as a father or their family? What do they want for themselves physically? What do they want for themselves you know, on vacation or free time? What is that? And then of course, influence is basically aligning their vibes with your intentions. It's all it boils down to. And influence ultimately, here's another tweetable if you like, influence is learning how to say the same thing a thousand different ways my core message stays the same on a sales call but the conversation is never the same because i'm listening for what are the vibes what are the specific triggers for this person i'll also say a common mistake that entrepreneurs make in their sales conversations and such is more likely than not if you've hit a sales rut or if you're not closing as much as you would like you're selling your product or service using or talking about what is intriguing to you like you love the one-on-one -on -one coaching aspect of the business. You love the one-on-one -on -one conversation. You love diving deep. But have you learned that diving deep is what is of interest to this prospect? That may be a component that's like, oh, that's a value add, that's cool. But really what they want is your templates. Like that's, that's the shiny object that they're going for. So it's, it's kind of tuning the dials, you know, playing with the light dimmer. What am I highlighting today? What am I not highlighting today based off of the vibes? But even that, like how do you identify that in real time without it being really opaque? Um, well, like Jordan mentioned earlier, don't wait to talk, wait to listen. If I don't have enough information, then I just ask another question. And especially in conversations, people, I mean, we all know this, people love talking about themselves. It's just what's probably been holding you back is the anxiety, the anticipation, the worry of how do I sell this? How do I present the value? And I get that as well before I speak sometimes. It's just like, oh gosh, hope I remember this, that, even though I've been doing this for over a decade. And in fact, in one of my recent blog articles, I talked about this, that whenever I get that feeling, and I get that feeling before stage, I get that feeling before sales call, I get that feeling before a webinar, and once I get to the point, I was like, I know my stuff, just relax. And what 
brings it all down, what brings all that anticipation and worry down is I just put my hand over my heart and I say, my only job is to connect. My only job is to connect. And all of a sudden, all that worry of what, I'm, what am I supposed to say goes away and I become present. And if there's anything that can build rapport quicker than anything else, it's actually being in the motherfucking moment. And that's difficult for people sometimes. But if you connect, it's amazing how forgiving your mark is. And I say mark is the shorthand way of saying the person you want to influence, just so I don't have to say the person you want to influence a thousand times. Um, so then uh, there's obviously a couple different, well, there's lots of different ways we would use this, but so if sales is one way, what about working with like a team member, you know, or an employee that you're trying to, um, same thing I was saying before, is how, like having a difficult conversation, conveying something. Sure. So I think some of the common mistakes people make in their communication as leaders is it's easy to get in the communication pattern of order, execution, order, execution. And if there's been a dip in morale, uh, oftentimes it's because we haven't been using the magical word because. And if you've read Cialdini's book of influence, you know, the power of the word because. That, have, has anybody not read that? Do you, oh, it's, it's totally okay if you haven't. Okay. So in that he, he describes a scenario that if people are staying in front of a Xerox machine and, and everybody has to make copies of something and they're all standing in line. And one person says, oh, do you mind if I cut you? And like the, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but like the compliance rate was, what, 40% of people being polite and be like, yeah, okay. But the rest of you were like, go screw yourself. No, I need to make copies. And then they said, um, and there was a third, the second one, but the third one was, oh, do you mind if I need to, oh, that's right. Do you mind if I cut you because I am going to be late for a meeting? Compliance went up to like 62%. Because you gave me a reason for your request, I'm more likely to comply out of politeness, and politeness is a common influential trigger. The third time, they said, do you mind if I cut because I need to make copies? Well, <laughs> so does everybody else, right? Compliance was pretty much equal to that second request, that more legitimate request. So what this tells us is if we give a reason for a request, we're more likely to get compliance. And so sometimes where it gets lost in the busyness with our team members is we sometimes forget to let them in on the bigger picture of how this helps things or how this moving part helps these moving parts. So we gotta remember to equal that. So one of my clients was uh, in a large financial firm in uh, Chicago. And he said, Sheree, I've got like a rock star team member who just doesn't know he's a rock star. Here's the thing. We sit in our our conference meetings and, you know, I really like discussion. I like arguments. I like people to question, you know, my thoughts because I feel like, you know, steel strengthens steel. That if we argue over an idea, the idea becomes stronger by the end. But I've got this guy who I really like him, but he just never engages in our meetings. And this person happened to be of Asian heritage. And he believed that's like, that wasn't part of his culture and upbringing is that you don't speak up, you don't question. Like that's not what is expected of you. And he said, Sheree, I've told him on a number of occasions. I said, could you, you know, add to the conversation? It's okay, like, let me, let me hear your thoughts. 
And I said, did you ever tell him why you're making that request? What that means to you? How you perceive that request? And he said, no, not, I don't think I have. And I said, okay, do that. And so he said to him, he was like, you know, Joe, here, you know, I really want you to engage Joe and here's Asia. why. Huh? Joe from Asia. Well, no, he's American born, <laughs> but he's Asian heritage. Nice. And he was like, uh, racist. Um, <laughs> so he was like, <laughs> uh, and so he told him, he was like, here's why I asked that. Because to me, you doing this means this and that, and it makes us a better team. Lo and behold, that's the permission he needed psychologically to fulfill that request. Um, so saying because, and then the other part of big lesson that I learned specifically from military intelligence officers is the importance of significance. That we need to know why we're doing what we're doing. We all feel that there is a bigger purpose that we need or want to serve, whether it's to serve the community, whether it's to serve God and your faith, whether it's to serve your family, there need there is some bigger purpose to what we do. And the company could be that purpose or the company's charity work, anything like that. And so one of the, um, so like for example, when CIA field operatives are trying to uh, turn an asset and get information, they that's one of the triggers that they use is you can be a part of something bigger. You can, you can turn the tide, you can, bring peace to your village. You can, you know, and that's for some people that that's the motivation. For other people, it's ego. That it's like, you you could be the superhero. And every intelligence officer knows that getting it, turning an asset based off of significance is a much more reliable asset than turning an asset who's doing it for, for bribes, who's getting paid for their information. That person will turn on you any day of the week. If North Korea offers more money, they're going to take it. But somebody who's doing it for a deep-seated reason is much more likely to stay loyal to you. But you can't, I mean, you can't make that the reason, right? You have to just discover. I mean, that's something that comes from them. It's, it's a mixture. It, it, obviously, that's part of the hiring process. You want to make sure that they, they are in alignment with what you all perceive to be significant or the bigger picture. That, you know, by us as a team member, we're able to help all these entrepreneurs. And when we help all these entrepreneurs, think about the exponential effect that we have in the world because we're helping them serve their people. That's an element of significance. And it's just like, man, it's kind of cool. That's, that's, inter- a, that's really interesting in a hiring perspective. When you're hiring someone to discover what you think is really significant and what you're trying to do with your business resonates with them. Because then if it does, you know, and the shit hits the fan and things get tough and you need Right, right. Yeah, and that and that can tie to significance of mistakes as well. It's like, okay, guys, you know, I know that you're fantastic on if a team member makes a mistake, you're not berating them over. It's just like, okay, do better next time. But if it happens more than once, then you can have a different conversation of significance of like, hey guys, so if this continues to happen, this is the domino effect. This is the ripple effect. That's why it's important that we fix this domino. Is there a way in the beginning to tell that like your company philosophy is gonna like match like during the hiring process? I mean, it depends on your hiring process. It depends how virtual or, you know, how long your conversations are. Um, For me, I think, I mean, there's so many levels to that. Um, 
I, I would pay, for me, I would pay attention to body language. I look for peak states of do, do I see like that their eyes widen or the eyebrows go up or if they lean in or if I see a brightness in their body language when I say certain things or do they stay neutral or do they go dark at certain moments? You can just see somebody's face drop. And, um, and that's, again, just to touch on some stuff that Jordan talked about it, as an interviewer, deciding where, um, when you see those moments, do I want to poke at that or do I want to leave that alone? And I think that we don't poke at things enough. <laughs> Insert dirty joke here. Um, I think that we are too often afraid to elicit emotional responses because we feel like that's being intrusive or being rude. I will tell you the number one thing that we are all searching for, and Oprah probably said it best, is we all want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to feel validated all the time. So when I see an emotion from somebody like, oh, they light up when I said that, I'll just use this technique that I, I coined to call it out. Just call it out. I'll say like, oh, I mean, it seems like something resonated with you right there. What was that? And notice how my energy level would match that. Like I'm welcoming that emotion. That's a cool emotion. I'm going to mirror that back so that I can get more information from him about it. So what was it about that that you really liked? And now they tell me more, which is likely going to give me more vibes. Same thing with the negative emotions. If I see that they darken, then I'll just say, oh, and different energy. I'm just, I'm safely curious. I'm not afraid of the darkening. I'm just safely curious. Oh, it seems like something didn't quite land there. Let, let me know what just happened there. And they tell me, and oftentimes, especially in sales, I've run into where somebody will get quiet or somebody will darken on something that I said. And when I was first in sales, I thought, oh shit, I said the wrong thing. I fucked up, I'm gonna lose the sale because of something that I had done. Now that I've gotten so good at calling it out, I have discovered like 80% of the time it has nothing to do with me. 80% of the time they say, oh, well, it's just that when you mentioned um, the, oh, like the retreat or whatever, we like everything else that you talked about, but the retreat, we hired a speaker a little like two years ago and the retreat just bombed. And I just don't think that we'll be able to convince our group to do another one. Has nothing to do with me. I didn't do anything. It has to do with a history that they're reacting to. Great, now that I called it out, I can explore like, okay, well, what bombed about it? What went wrong? What did they like? How can we present this and make it a fit? Now we're able to solve the objection together, but they would have stayed silent about that retreat and then turned down my proposal later on and me thinking it was because I said something wrong. The thing about asking, saying because in the employee relationship was very interesting to me because I, I feel like in general, if you don't say that, then it's very easy for someone to get defensive, right? Because you ask something and then they're like, well, why? Right. right? And especially, <laughs> and I would say even more so, um, we, well, first of all, we get lazy in our communication with people we are frequently around. We shortcut our language more and more around our spouses, around our kids. So I would say even more so, 
we stop saying because to our loved ones. It is no longer, honey, do you mind taking out the trash because I got to run out the door, I'm running late. It's, honey, could you take out the trash? And then later on, honey, take out the trash. And then later on, take out the trash. (laughs) Exactly. Trash? Right. Trash. Trash. (laughs) Exactly. Trash needs to be taken out. Yes, exactly, exactly. So you had your hand up earlier. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll okay. Later. Okay. All right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about uh, when you're trying to sell an idea or sell a product, um, the top what you really be trying to see is the template. Right. Uh, but oh, okay, and more than you talking about why you are eager about your product. Mm-hmm. Can you? Is there any way of their style to you know explain the the template? Or, Oh, no, I was just using that as an example of like, oh, there may be components to what you offer, like your the the vape that we were talking about earlier. You may love that it helps people overcome addiction to cigarettes, but maybe if you're selling it to, let's just say you're selling it one-on-one to somebody, they actually may be more interested in the fact that they can smoke um, in hotel rooms and not have to get a smoker's hotel room. like it's just dialing what to highlight what not to highlight and then i determine what to highlight or not based off of tone body language another area in which we get tripped up again worrying about what to say is if you've done enough sales conversations chances are you've got a pretty solid routine (laughs) you know like you can just go into that mode and you're probably missing those moments where they go oh just that moment oh stop what you're doing Oh, what did you, is that something that you're looking for? Well, yeah, I mean, the other day, my wife mentioned such and such. But if you don't stop and you just keep going through your script, then you miss that moment to know what to highlight. Yeah, and I will say just one other thing, because I mentioned the, and I'll come back to you, um, is, uh, so another important piece to this is the three-step process to influence. This is where the OCI comes in. So the three stages of influence is first to observe. Observe the other person. You now know what to observe, which is the vibes. The second step is to connect. Your only job is to connect. And chances are, if you're observing, you're connecting simultaneously. There's a few tips and tricks in there. And then lastly, the tip of the iceberg, the thing that people see and assume that is influence, the last step is influence. But all the work is really in observation and connection. And I will say, because uh, some uh, Jim Quick mentioned earlier, there's no, what is it? Every, anything that appears magical has a process. Oh, every method has some, I wrote that one down. There's always a method behind what's magical. Yes, there's always a method behind what's magical. Magic and influence have a lot in common. I geek out over magic and magicians. Penn, Penn and Teller are heroes of mine. It's, they're great. Um, when you see a fantastic magician, you're mesmerized. It's how in the heck did the building go away? How is he floating? How is that's amazing? You know that there's something behind it, but you don't care because it's beautiful because it's art. I think where most people get the negative connotation of influence is the only time they recognize it is when it's done poorly. Just like a magician who hasn't honed in on her craft that she's been working on it for a while, but 
it messes up and you see how the trick's done, well, now the illusion is no longer there. Now there's no longer magic. But we all know that experience of when you get off a call with somebody and you're like, wow, that's such a cool person. Like, that was a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to working with them. That's magic. That's when the technique is covered by the craft, covered by the art, covered by the beauty of connecting through language. Yeah, and, and then, well, let me go to him first. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what you actually need to solve a very big problem that I've had for a long time. Cool, I'll take a commission. Well, okay. It's only money. I tell people money's only an idea. The, um, it is. Yeah, so I'm, I'm saying the right thing so far, right? Yes, no, you are. The, um, I shall validate that. One of the things that um, I occasionally, uh, and, and I'm being kind of vulnerable, or one of the things that occasionally occurs is I go into what I would describe, what others have described as a uh, Olympic flush. Yeah, sure. And uh, I never knew about it. Basically, it's when you choke, you know, it's like something. So uh, technology is one of the things, and I'm, and I'm focused on a, on a, a, a you know, a, a personal interaction, and there's some kind of a technology that has to be taken care of. That's out of the question. So, uh, but what is the, the the idea about focusing, for example, I'd be into something and there'll be. Uh, a word or two when I'm dealing, I mean, I'm dealing with attorneys. Now, anybody who knows me, I'm, I'm bossy. I say, no judge, this is how it's going to go. But there'd be a couple of things that when um, the, the uh, attorney or somebody else will say that will kind of trigger me and I'll go into this place. Yeah. Now, then that's because kind of dangerous because then I get yep. I get defensive yep. or, or I'll have like basically an emotional response. And right. I may verbalize, I may not. Right. And so your point is really is that Detach, let's make sure I understand this, detach from the outcome and to focus on just making the connection. Yeah, so I'll say it a slightly different way. It's be curious, not judgmental. You cannot have a curious mind and a judging mind at the same time. So when you get triggered, when something gets to you, it that is because of your programming, your background, your experiences, all that stuff. Um, that is your ego. And we all have heard of temporary suspension of disbelief. So when you go into a theater, you buy into this concept that, you know, this is happening. We have to have temporary suspension of the ego. So you don't, I'm not, I'm not your Zen monk saying like, oh, release your ego. No, I kind of love my ego. She's good to me. But every once in a while, I'll just let her fly up like a balloon and I'll just hold onto the string and let her stay up there because, this is another moment, note for you, um, is the mission more important than your ego? And that's your choice to make. If you don't like somebody because you don't wanna work with them and you wanna make that decision out of your ego, fine, that's your choice. But don't, but you have to decide, is the mission more important? Is it more important for me to get this deal with somebody that I don't get along with, somebody that triggers me? If that's the case, if the mission is more important, then you need to suspend that ego. And you need to go, which ego is judgmental, then you need to go into curiosity frame of mind. And I find that when I go into curiosity slash observation, when I go into curiosity, I also amazingly tap into compassion. Because when I am curious and I'm eliciting those vibes, I'm understanding more and more of what motivates them. I'm un understanding their picture. I'm not just understanding this bad moment they're having. I now understand where that came from. 
and now it's no longer personal. So temporary suspension of ego, curiosity over judgment. Where do I send the check? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Jeff. How do you ask questions and move the conversation along quicker? Um, so I, I'm talkies pre-framing, if it's that kind of thing, like, hey, during our 30 minutes today, here's what I will accomplish, and, and taking control of the call, taking control of meetings the same way, here's our agenda for the day, you know, this is going to be a short meeting, that kind of stuff, pre-framing completely works. Um, also, if somebody's like, if you're not quite getting the information that you're hoping to find, we might be very familiar with reciprocity as marketers. Hey, if I give you this free thing, then you'll give me your email address. And if I give you value, then maybe you'll buy this book or, you know, uh, just all the different ways we use reciprocity, thanks to Cialdini. There is conversational reciprocity. So this is, uh, be what you want to see. If you need somebody to open up about their books, about uh, employee conflict, any of those things, kick things off by being sharing a similar story. Kick things off by talking about yourself. If you open up about yourself, if you share a little first, they will share equally and more so. It's the exact same thing as the reciprocity that we've been doing in our businesses. It's just conversational. Yep, good. Other ones? No? Okay. <laughs> So, no, I, I have more. Okay, good. <laughs> cool. Uh, when, you're, uh, when you're working with leaders now, so I talk about you know, how you talk to employees, and some of that is how the leaders handle them. But uh, when they're trying to, uh, I guess, communicate better is really what I'm, I, I want to get to, because it's something that I personally have worked on a lot, and there have been several situations where I've felt like I've had the conversation three or four times and then it's a total surprise to the person when we have that conversation, right? Um, so how, uh, it's not active listening, I'm, not trying to, I'm trying to figure out what I want to exactly ask her. I, I guess it's like, how do you know that your message is really landing and the person isn't just like guessing? Yeah, yeah. Body. so I'm, I don't teach body language too often just because I think too much importance is placed on it. Um, People are looking for things and then yeah. they make things up in their head. And I feel like the skill set of conversation is being lost more and more. So how to actually, like a lot of the things I'm teaching you is elicitation, getting, getting information out of somebody. So in that scenario, again, I would just look at is, is there a significant shift in the body language? Are they going from sitting back to moving forward? Are their shoulders dropping? Are, are they like elevating in, through their spine kind of a thing? Is there is there a significant shift there? Then, then it's like, okay, that landed. Another important, just to piggyback off of that idea, um, one really good hack to figure out how to influence somebody is to pick a fight. <laughs> this is the shortest way to do it. So if pick a fight. So what I mean by that is disagree with them about something that you know that they hold to be true. So like George was around, I don't know where he went, but if I were to like, I want to learn what makes George tick. And if I were to say like, you know, I just feel like Facebook ads are a thing of the past. I just don't think that they're working as well as they used to. I think like something's shifting and then George would get riled up, be like, you're so wrong and let me tell you why you're wrong. Rather than being afraid of that conflict, I'm actually very welcome to it. 
because he is going to try to convince me how he likes to be convinced. We influence others how we want to be influenced. So in that moment, I while he's telling me all this stuff, I'm going to be categorizing what is he telling me? Is he telling me facts and figures? Is he giving me what authority figures have said? Is he using emotional language? Is he in the VAK, is a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? I'm categorizing the elements that he is choosing to influence me with. And from that, thank you, George, you just gave me the code to influence you when I might need to in the future. Now I know it's important to you. So sometimes it's okay. In fact, every argument, every argument, is now an opportunity to be a better communicator, assuming you're shutting up and listening and paying attention, observing. Yeah. Was it? No, oh, you, sorry. How long you, you drag up the fight? Like, do, you, do you initiate a fight and then oh, they curiosity? They convince me every time. You continue <laughs> yeah. I, I turn around every, I mean, just about every time. That Nobody will ever be able to convince me that golf is amazing. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But if they're like, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm genuine. That's the other thing. So there's a big difference between authentic influence versus inauthentic. If, you, if you're inauthentic, then yeah, you're going towards manipulation and all that dark art stuff. So you still want to stay true to yourself, but you can stay true to yourself. And if it's something I can't be convinced of, then you're absolutely right. Then I just stay curious. Then I'll just ask questions and I'll just be like, you know, I really, and I'll say genuine, I really appreciate your perspective. I feel like I've learned a few things from that. So, okay, I might concede a little bit, but not entirely. Like, I'll be honest about it. Yeah. So, you mentioned VAK, video auditory kinetic. Yeah, visual yeah, auditory. Visual. Right, so let's yep. say you argue with somebody and they give a kinetic response, um, and you say that. So, so now, in the future, you're going to respond to them I'll use, if you yeah. want, you're going to wave your arms, something like that? Or? Oh, no, I'll use, so, I'll use kinetic language, kinesthetic language. Um, so rather than saying, like, if I'm painting the picture of how life will be better after coaching with me, there's a difference between saying, um, you know, it'll, think about what it will look like to have mm. zero in emails like. versus think about the, just how you'll be able to breathe easier knowing that your to-do list is done. I'm saying the exact same thing, just in different ways. So I'm using visual language versus kinesthetic language. Do I? Yes, because there's a feedback loop. Most people, people come to me to learn how to influence others. When they go through, you know, the course and the coaching, they realize how they have been adding their perception, their, they've been adding their reality to others. And as an influencer, no, none of the power resides in our reality. All of my beliefs, values, identifiers means shit if I'm trying to convince you. I want to become Neo and go into your matrix and figure out how do you perceive the world because that's the code that I'll be able to operate within. And through that process, yes, they become much more self-aware. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that, I mean, that was fantastic. Thank you. That's it? Yeah. Okay. We, we got a break for dinner. Okay. Um, so thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. 
If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.